With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Congratulations, everyone, on getting halfway through the most difficult, awe-inspiring game the extra-dimensional aliens has ever put us through. 2020 VR World. Halfway through, as of the moment I'm recording this, on June 30th, 2020. What a decade this has been. Do you even remember January 1st, the Australian wildfires? World War III with Iran, impeachments, all the way through murder hornets, alligators addicted to meth, the Swedes detecting nuclear explosions, and on and on and on. Not to mention virus, pandemic, lockdowns, protests, everything. So in this podcast, we do a bit of a recap and ask some questions ourselves, and then I start answering questions. I also explore the BS headline of the day. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. So listen, enjoy. Congratulations again on making it halfway through this game. You'll get extra points in the morning. And if you have any other questions, text me at 203-590-8607. And here we go. Now live. Welcome. So yesterday I mentioned how uh, at 3.15 a.m. Monday morning, so yesterday was Monday, Mm -hmm. at 3.15 a.m. Monday morning, uh, two teenagers were shot in the Chaz or CHOP, Mm -hmm. you know, this autonomous zone taken over by protesters in Seattle. You know, Seattle mayor has called them peaceful protesters, and I do believe probably the majority of them are peaceful, but every couple of days there's been shootings in the chest. So Monday morning at 3.15 a.m., a 16-year-old boy was shot and killed in the chest, and a 14-year-old boy was shot and injured and taken to a hospital. I remember when I was I was researching for this Instagram Live, you know, we do it from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and there was no news on CNN about this shooting. So the Seattle mayor has said, you know, and I think, I don't know whether she's Democrat or Republican, I guess, I don't know. But the Seattle mayor has said, oh, this is just peaceful protesting. How come she hasn't commented on these shootings? And again, I try not to get too embroiled in hypocrisy. And then, so I looked this up on CNN. There was no news on these shootings. You would think that, you know, this is a, it's kind of this strange phenomenon that basically armed protesters took over this gentrified six block, 10 block, whatever radius area in Seattle, right next to Capitol Hill. And they put up a border. You can't walk in and out of there without permission. And they have armed guards standing around. Teenagers being shot. And I looked on CNN, there was no news at all about that shooting. So it turns out by 2.58 p.m., so at the end of our Instagram Live, I don't know if somehow someone at CNN was listening or it was just coincidence, but at 2.58 p.m., there was the first article on CNN about this mm-hmm. shooting, and all it said was a 16-year-old was shot and killed. And mm-hmm. there was no mention of, like, is there any investigations going on to all these killings that are happening there? Uh, you know, the Seattle mayor, I guess, has said that... Uh, she wants the protesters to take down the blockade, but the protesters have not taken down the blockade. 
what is going on? And it's again, not what's going on there, but yes, every, everybody in the world wants reforms. I mean, you're crazy if you don't want reforms on police brutality. Yes, there's a bias on police brutality in terms of race and so on. And so everybody in the world agrees there should be reforms. But I feel like everyone's afraid to comment. I mean, CNN, why wouldn't they even, like here's, here's a, a, an area of the United States that has claimed they've seceded from the United States and people are like going in there and just hanging out. The Seattle mayor called it an arts festival and no one's reporting on killings and, and this just turned into like this disaster. And you could see, you know, this potentially happening even in other states where they suggested this could happen. And then every company is like pandering to the more violent elements of these protests. And it, even when I was talking to Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who is ex-police officer, uh, he's an African-American, he's gone to as many protests as possible in New York City. Even he has said that, he told me on the podcast, that the more violent elements are not really, are not protesters, they're other groups. And so doesn't that deserve some kind of news reporting or investigation? Like who are these other groups? Anyway, we've talked about this before. I guess what bothers me is the hypocrisy on all this stuff, but you can't really be bo bothered by hypocrisy. Like we, what are you gonna do? Argue on Twitter uh, about, oh, it's hypocritical. It's so stupid because Twitter is sort of like watching people, watching people spit blood after a, radia after a radiation accident. Like it's just useless and everyone's already, you know, affected by the radiation and their lives are over. So like I just pointed something out on Twitter about why isn't, why didn't CNN report this? And some guy responded, he said the same way, you know, you uh, uh, smear your coronavirus data so your comedy club can reopen earlier. Like I can't, you know, I'm not even in New York City right now. I could give a shit about whether the comedy club opens right. yesterday or tomorrow, it doesn't matter. And again, I find myself, do you, do you get upset about the hypocrisy? Oh, like, I do, absolutely. Like do you get angry? Yeah. So I get, I get angry, I but it's, not a, good, it. it's not a good philosophy to get angry about no, that. No, it's not. Because it's going to happen. Like Fox News reports one way, CNN, by the way, Fox News had nothing about the Chaz shootings either. Fox News reports one way, CNN reports another way, and then there's, you know, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, then there's these new ones like Pluto or Oan, I don't even know what these are. And then there's, I just get my news, I try to get my news straight from the actual data, but sometimes you can't, and sometimes you can. For instance, I'll, I'll admit something where I was wrong. So in early March, I said the virus would peak, I said it right on here, on the very first Instagram Live, I said the virus would peak probably around April 15th and it would be over and eradicated from the US probably within one or two weeks of June 1st. So I was right about the first number. I was wrong about the June 1st. I thought it would be more like a curve, you know, up and then down. Mm -hmm. Instead it was, it did peak, but it's more like a square root. <laughs> so it hasn't been eradicated. Um, and now Florida, where we are right now, has, they just hit their record number of uh, daily new deaths. So clearly there's an issue here in Florida. Um, uh, there's at, at the very least an infection issue and there's a hospitalization issue as well. And it's not like I'm biased. Like I will admit, you know, not every prediction works. Some predict, nobody at the, you know, in March, nobody was expecting that the peak would be in April. I was on with that, but I was wrong on when it would end. It's certainly in the United States now as a whole, it's certainly lower than it was and probably in New York City or New York State, it's probably over, but clearly in the country, there's different states have different curves and we'll, we'll see what happens. There is a great, um, there was this economist, Donald Henderson, who's dead now, he died in 2016, I think, but he wrote an article like 10 years ago, here's how the, uh, the US or any educated society should deal with pandemics. And the article is, I, uh, if you search Donald Henderson and pandemics, uh, you'll see this article that he wrote, he's an economist. And he basically said, 
the key is to have a healthy economy. And I just read this yesterday, but I, but it's what we've been saying all along. The key to fighting a pandemic is to have a healthy economy because the, the healthcare system is supported by the economy. So you have better healthcare, you have more ICU beds, you have better hospitals, you have better treatment when doctors are getting paid, when doctors are hired, when nurses are hired, when medicines are developed. And this lockdown, I don't, I, I don't know what I feel about it because people feel very strongly one way or the other. And, you know, but obviously 40 million layoffs, you have to weigh, you know, some people probably die because of that. Sadly, a roommate of mine when I, from when I lived in Pittsburgh committed suicide about a week ago. Uh, I don't really know why he did it, but you know, I don't know if he was laid off or what the issues were, but you know, he was in some economic stress and he killed himself and he clearly had other issues and mental issues and so on. But you know, there's, there's side effects when you close that when 40 million people are laid off. One side effect is all of these protests and the protests that have been not just peaceful protesters, but we saw when we were in New York City, they were trying to get into the apartment building and they were yeah. breaking, you know, looting stores. And we had a conversation with our kids about the differences between looting and protesting. We went to a protest and it was a peaceful protest and there wasn't looting, but we came back before the curfew. And, you know, people were, people, you know, people have been quoting Martin Luther King saying, you know, rioting and looting, he didn't say looting, but he said rioting is the voice of people who are unheard. And I get that, but he wasn't recommending rioting, he was recommending being heard. So, so he had a variety of techniques for being heard, similar to Gandhi, which is uh, have economic boycotts, do strikes, uh, set up peaceful barricades. And that's what Martin Luther King did. You know, Martin Luther King had a 12 year career of protesting and not once did he ever recommend violence. And then there's Malcolm X, who people associate more with violence. And I think, I think actually, to be honest, and I hate throwing these words around, but I think actually um, it's sort of racist that people think Malcolm X was the violent one and Martin Luther King was the peaceful one. Everybody has their issues, good and bad. Malcolm X, to, to his credit, um, disavowed violence after a 1964 visit to Mecca, which convinced him to, to convert from um, being a, a black Muslim to being, I guess, Middle Eastern Muslim. And he disavowed violence then, and he was more close to Martin Luther King after that. He, he broke away from Elijah Muhammad, who was kind of his mentor before then. And so he was a voice of peace also when he realized the effectiveness of that and also the religious benefits or spiritual benefits of advocating for peace. So you can't really use Malcolm X as an example, nor did he necessarily lead successful protests. You know, Martin Luther King actually created change. Yeah. So I'll answer some questions in a, in a second, but I just want to say congratulations to everybody listening to this because you did it. You have reached the halfway point of the 2020 virtual simulation game that we're all in. Congratulations. You'll get extra health points and extra stamina points on your dashboard tomorrow. And you should see that when you wake up, it'll be in the, um, chips that we've enclosed in your eyelids. Like the simulation, the game is half over. You only have to make it to the end of 2020. All people who survive with their sanity will, will be in the, <laughs> among the prize winners and the prizes will be announced uh, later this year by the, um, uh, uh, you know, the robots that run the whole thing. So what's that? let's just take a look back and see what's happened in this game. It's been a very exciting game. It took years and years to plan this game and to plan all the little twists and turns. It's been very exciting for us who are the, the game planners. Let's start off with um, early January, January 1st. Uh, do you remember what the news was on January 1st and January 2nd? Uh, points go to anybody who shouts out what the <laughs> biggest headlines were January 1st. The Australian wildfires. So. That's like, that news is so distant and so unimportant 
that we often forget that an entire continent was on fire yeah. on January 1st. And what happened? It was never in the news again. If, you, if I Google Australian wildfires on CNN, what, go to coronavirus. <laughs> what, what would even happen? Like when, when's the last article on the Australian wildfires? So, so I'll give you an update because you have made it to the halfway point in this game. Uh, this was a pretty intense Australian wildfire season, I have to say. And by March, coincidentally, by March 5th or so, mm -hmm. right before all the lockdowns for pandemic happened, uh, it was pretty much the last, almost all the fires were extinguished. So Australia is okay. It did not burn. For all of those, for all of those who forgot that Australia even existed, it did not burn up and the wildfires were 99% extinguished by the first week of March. And guess what? The last fire was extinguished in around May, middle of May. I did keep track of it, but since it was so unimportant uh, to what we were talking about, I did not even bring it up here. But you'll be happy to know that you passed that, uh, that part of the game pretty, pretty quickly. So then what was second? Um, January 3rd, my kids, wake me up. And the first thing, I, I, by the way, I always heard about all these news events from our kids, mm -hmm. even coronavirus. Mm -hmm. I heard from our kids. They were like, hey, should we be worried about this mm -hmm. pandemic? And we were like, what are you talking about? And then we called your ex-brother-in-law, who's a top epidemiologist at an Imperial College. And we said, should we be worried about this? And he said, yes. <laughs> so, but let's get back to the events of January 3rd. Uh, our kids wake us up and say, are we gonna be drafted? And we're like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, World War III just started. <laughs> and apparently January 3rd, early in the morning, America sent a drone to kill uh, General Soleimani, who was a top general in, I don't know, the I forget, the Iranian militia guard or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the interesting thing there is, is that uh, the U.S., so, so they killed this general who was a, maybe the number two or number three most important person in Iran. And uh, Iran and the rest of the world actually immediately responded, how dare the US kill an important government official from another sovereign nation? And by the way, I agree with that, but General Soleimani wasn't a government official from Iran. He's part of kind of the more underground, uh, or he was part of the more underground like militia that was sort of a more informal branch of the Iranian government. And by the way, he wasn't in Iran. He was in Iraq, which yeah. is a country that the US is basically has been in charge of. So for better or for worse, by the way, I'm not in favor that we should be in Iraq at all, but uh, what was the Iranian, the, this, this sovereign official mm -hmm. doing in Iraq's airport? Right. Was he just hanging out at the <laughs> at the Dunkin' Donuts or the Cinnabon at the airport? Like, what was he doing there? Well, he was planning attacks against, he had just done in November or December, mm -hmm. an attack again that killed American soldiers. So this was like a revenge attack as these things go. I don't, I'm not in favor of any of these attacks, but so, so all the criticism that was directed uh, against that attack is sort of, has been misinformed. You, you certainly are allowed to attack someone who is killing Americans uh, in every, uh, interpretation of international law. Not that there is even an international law, really. Like people say, oh, The Hague. Who, where is that? I don't even know. The, the Hague arrest people? I was just reading, you know, there's a, there is an international police force called Interpol, started in 1923. They're a police force, but they're not allowed to arrest anyone. What they do is people contact them, like the US contacts them or Russia contacts them and says, here's a list of people we want arrested. Mm -hmm. And that then goes out to all the other countries. And it's usually a tool to just bother people you don't like. So mm -hmm. if Russia doesn't like Robin, they send out to Interpol, hey, if you see Robin, uh, arrest her. Mm -hmm. And it just bothers people. It doesn't, nothing actually happens. So that's Interpol. But anyway. Well, they just put Trump on there. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, so, so Iran. <laughs> So, so to give you your January 3rd update, uh, essentially what happened was uh, Iran 
Uh, and, and by the way, I had Tom Quiggin on my podcast, who's been a Middle Eastern expert for many years, for decades in the Canadian government. He was a, an intelligence officer uh, who, who was in the Middle East. He was a high-ranking official in Canada in the intelligence services. So I had, on January 4th, I had Tom Quiggin come on my podcast, and he said to me basically, look for a retaliation attack that won't kill any Americans. And you know, because they don't want to start a world war. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. About a week later, um, Iran attacked and sort of missed an American military base. That was the retaliation. And that was the end of the discussion. It was never in the news again until this week. So congratulations for hanging in there uh, and waiting for more news about Iran because there was news. Iran has issued an arrest warrant <laughs> seeking the arrest of President Donald J. Trump. <laughs> Um, this, what does the J stand for? Does it stand for like Joseph, to... John, or James? I anyway. don't know. That's a good question. Anyway, Iran has issued an arrest warrant for Donald Trump in the killing of General Soleimani on Iraqi soil. So I don't know why Iran has any jurisdiction on Iraqi soil. So that's another issue. But all of these things remain a mystery because no, nobody, no reporters, no investigative journalists report on this at all. It's like... It's like all these countries just issue press releases and reporters from news services repeat them. Do you remember? Do you I, got remember? It, I got that from um, Al Jazeera. I like that. I Al Jazeera? Like, yeah, I don't like the... Didn't Al Gore uh, buy Al Jazeera though? Um, I yes, don't know. He, I think so, but and of course, he sold it. I don't know. And then he sold it, I think. Right. So, uh, do you remember the movie All the President's Men mm-hmm. starring um, Robert Redford yes. and Dustin Hoffman? Yeah. So All the President's Men was based on this book called All the President's Men by Bob, Word, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein about how they investigated Watergate. So they, I mean, they had like a source called Deep Throat. They had, they were like really, they were like going through shredded paper and trying to paste it together. The Washington Post, Nixon threatened to shut down the Washington mm-hmm. Post and um, Catherine Graham, uh, who, who ran the Washington Post, um, she refused and she was like a, this courageous, you know, newspaper publisher. Warren Buffett, seeing how courageous she was, became the largest shareholder of the Washington Post in order to keep it going during this, this investigation time. So there used to be real investigative journalism. And I just feel like that's just God. I don't know yeah, anybody absolutely. who actually investigates anymore. But uh, anyway, keep... Don't, don't ignore the fact that Iran, the World War III is still on the map for game players of the 2020 VR game simulation. Iran has issued this arrest warrant. I don't know what that exactly means because it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to correspond to any law at all, but uh, uh, let's wait and see what happens. Uh, In other World War III news, India and China have been killing each other on the India-China border. So I believe this is the first time two nuclear powers have killed people on both sides. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned and let's see what happens. Um, we'll get to more nuclear in a second. Uh, so the, the Iran news lasted for about a week. Then there was the impeachment news. So the, for the third time in US history, extra points goes, if you could tell me the other two times, because it was in the news then, but it's it's been mostly forgotten since then. But for the third time in U.S. history, uh, a U.S. president was impeached. In order to impeach some a president, the House basically has to vote that you've committed some sort of high crime or misdemeanor, and that's not defined in the Constitution. So you know, there's a little bit of argument about what does a high crime and misdemeanor mean, and uh, but whatever. Uh, Andrew Johnson was impeached largely for political purposes in, um, you know, 1869, 1870, oh, no, no, sorry, 1868. And, uh, but then the Senate did not vote to, so the House impeaches you, the Senate votes to remove you from office. So the Senate has a trial and it's like, it's like the House, in, it's equivalent to the House indicts you and then the Senate judges you. And so the Senate did not vote to throw Andrew Johnson out. The next impeachment was Bill Clinton for perjury in, I think, 1996 or 1997. And perjury, his perjury, the perjury charge was about what he, his statements about Monica Lewinsky. So anyway, he was impeached. Once again, 
the Senate did not vote to remove him. Um, then the third time in history was Donald Trump was impeached by the House. Uh, I actually right now forget what he was impeached about. I don't Was it a Russia thing? I can't. Oh no, it was Ukraine. It was the Ukraine. Oh yeah, yeah. The oh, idea yeah, that yeah. he that he said he'll give you he'll give the Ukraine four hundred billion dollars in aid if they investigate Hunter Biden. Yeah, but did he really do that? I don't know. Well, the Senate did not voted to not remove him. Remember, the Senate is the yeah. trial. The House the House yeah. is the accuser, and the Senate is the trial. And the, right. the John Roberts, who is the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he would have he would have been the um, kind of the judge in the Senate running the trial. And anyway, the Senate uh, voted to just, just throw it out. Again, this has nothing to do with right or wrong. It's all political. The House voted. It's amazing coincidence that every Democrat in the House thought he was guilty and every Republican thought he was innocent. Right. Ditto for the Senate. It's amazing how everybody agrees. Yeah. Once you, if you, if you, if you go to a sushi restaurant, you must like all the sushi and the other people go to all the Mexican, they go to a Mexican restaurant and they hate all the sushi and they love all the burritos yes. on the menu. So that's how, that's how U.S. politics works, if you didn't know. So, but it did lead to, you know, long, it did lead to some repercussions uh, you know, there's investigations now that stem from that that are related to Obama and Biden. Nobody's going to follow up on those. Investigations since he's been in office. Yeah, but now there's investigations both ways. It just doesn't. It's <laughs> good job, everybody, for survive. That was like this. We all were watching it. Like we watched the impeachment oh, hearings. It, it's amazing it too. Like they, had, they had impeachment hearings during prime time. Like they knew exactly. Like. Oh, it's 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 eight p.m. Time to start uh, this new the reality show of all the old people in Washington D.C. Like it's basically just a bunch yeah. of old people arguing about Ukraine. It would should have been the most boring show in the world, but it was fascinating. We loved it. And then you had you had guys like Jim Jordan arguing. You had Adam Schiff. You had all these amazing charismatic personalities just rise up and increase their I don't know potential. One of the, you know, eventually they'll get all offers from Wall Street banks when, after they retire. Adam Schiff should just retire because he's like guaranteed vice chairman of Citibank or something after this. Um, That's so funny. Fastest way to make $100 million, be an outspoken congressman, do it for about six years, and then quit. Yeah, they and, all make so much money. Well, they really don't, but it's like, how are they making the money? I don't know. They're all millionaires. Yeah. And they, and they, and they have this like, interesting. they have to like, they make, I don't know what they make. They make good, good salaries, like two, 200,000 a year, maybe a little bit less, but they have to maintain two households. They have to fly back and forth all the time. So, you know, they're, they're stretched pretty thin. They need to take those vice chairmanships. Nancy has a private plane, group. doesn't she? Hmm? Nancy. Well, Nancy Pelosi's husband, um, is, is incredibly wealthy. She's worth about three or $400 million. I remember one time, I was looking at a deal that her son was doing. It was a penny stock, and uh, it was it was involved with climate change. And I remember I went to I had never met him before. Paul, uh, I forget his name. Maybe it was Paul Pelosi. This is this is over a decade ago. And it was like fourteen years ago. And I met him at this uh, restaurant on Eleventh Street in near Union Square. And uh, I'm still friends with his whoever was his girlfriend at the time. And uh, uh, anyway, he's explaining the company to me and he says, look, this climate change thing is not gonna last forever. It's all BS. But this company that we're doing this he deal with. Hmm? He said that? He said that. And he said, this company's, we're, we're doing this deal with China to clean up one of their swamps or whatever, one of their rivers. And so if you know anybody who knows any chemistry, let me know. And uh, he was doing this big deal with China, but I, I never found out what, what happened with that. He said, this climate change thing is not going to last forever, though, so we've got to act on it now and make as much money as we can. Great. Power to him. Very good-looking guy, by the way. So I think all these politicians somehow have very good-looking children. Um, so <laughs> Amy Carter might be an exception, and but, like, you see Barron Trump? He's, like, in third grade or something. He's, like, eight feet tall. It's like a, He's got, like, uh, what's that disease that Lincoln had? Um, oh, it makes him look like a, the limbs oh, get elongated. Look like that. No, he looks a very good-looking kid. Yeah. So, uh, actually, I'm not a pedophile, though. We just, anyway, moving on. Impeachment. Congratulations, 2020ers. You passed impeachment, 
And then, what was the virus the very next thing after the impeachment? So. Yeah, because that was like in February. Yeah, it was like end of January, but then... Right, so, um, uh, so those were over, the impeachment hearings were over, and then all of a sudden, that just kicked in. Yeah, first it was like, hey, the China supply chain closed. And that was starting to be a little bit of a panic because it turned out that the entire, that nobody was telling anybody, but the only factories anybody used in American industry were all based in the Hubei province of China, apparently. Mm -hmm. So all of America, the American economy was actually kind of shut down already in February because China shut down all the factories. So, Plus they were going through their Chinese New Year, which they always yeah. shut down anyway during that time. Right, and so everybody thought, oh, they'll just reopen. Yeah. And I even called in January, they started shutting down. And I even called many friends, you saw me do it. I called many friends and mm -hmm. said, look, you need to buy at least six months to a year worth of inventory or you might be right. in trouble. That's still the case. So, uh, but uh, we went off to the Netherlands. I remember stupidly asking audiences in the Netherlands, hey, do you guys really care about this coronavirus thing? And they were all like, nah. And now they're like, have the highest death rate per million in all of Europe. So we came back from the Netherlands. A few days later, New York was shut down. And the scary part then was the fact that there was more and more restrictions every day. So first it's like, you couldn't go to a big gatherings. Then you couldn't go to sports events or Broadway. Then you, it's quarantine except for essential workers. And nobody really knew what any of this meant. Uh, so, um, anyway, and then the, the, again, this is a useful lesson in here because every, you know, everybody knew the economy was going to be shut down and suffer from lots of layoffs. The actual bottom of the market, the worst day, uh, the, the lowest point of the market on the year was, I believe it was March 23rd when the house did not pass the first version of the bailout bill and the market crashed. Then the was next the day, day, was that the day though that oil went negative? Oh yeah, it might have been when oil went negative too. We had an IG Live, I said, oil's gonna be back in the 30s within yeah, weeks, which it was. crazy. But um, the House did not pass the bill, and then the next day they came to a compromise to pass this first stimulus bill, the CARES package, and the market had, has gone straight up, the NASDAQ's been at all-time highs. Um, you know, whether or not that's realistic to continue I, I is uncertain, but, uh, and again, the peak did occur around mid-April. That's the highest point of new daily hospitalizations in the U.S. and new deaths and so on. Uh, and, and now, you know, the virus is still lasting. CNN. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him from now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm thirty five. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hims.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hims. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Bullshit headline of the day. Experts say the spread of coronavirus is now hard to control. Now? When was it easy to control? Like, when did they have an easy time with it in the world? Like, where, where do they get the reporters? I mean, even the questions they ask are and, just And by so... the way, we, we're always thinking about a CNN. It's not just CNN, it's, it's all of them. Like, 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 I'm looking at the article, more from CNN. So here's the next important article after this one. Adele wore her Glastonbury Festival dress to watch it and needs dot, dot, dot. Ugh. Like, is that really the next most important article? What about, where's the, the chaz? I gotta plan my chazcation. So then, believe it or not, coronavirus started getting out of the news. And um, very tragically, you know, of course, George Floyd, uh, this, this, this evil, bad police officer, and I mean that uh, com- completely, kneeled on his neck for uh, eight minutes, 46 seconds, uh, which is the title of Dave Chappelle's special about it. And George Floyd died, uh, uh, protests 
started immediately. And uh, it was scary in New York City because you didn't really know if were the protests gonna turn into something much more violent. They did become incredibly violent for like a week. And then I think that violence has, has gone now, but the protests are still ongoing, which is fine. I mean, are, are the protests are still happening in New York City, yeah, right? Like yeah, our daughters have been going. Yeah, there's one, yeah. The, the disturbing thing is the Chaz and the Chop to me, but that, you know, again, I think more points go to you if you completely ignore that. <laughs> because there's nothing you can do. And again, I've mentioned this before, I kind of, with each step of the way, like in terms of uh, economic response, in terms of stimulus, on uh, Black Lives Matter, talking to African-American leaders, I've tried to input my own thoughts and suggestions to everybody I know on, on every side of all of these issues. I was conveniently, everybody responded to me, but I was conveniently ignored <laughs> everywhere. So on the economic side, I suggested do direct uh, stimulus. If you do a second stimulus bill, do direct checks to the bottom third of the economy. Do a UBI, Andrew Yang style, do a UBI to at least the bottom third of the economy. Else you won't get the money in the economy. Everybody else, if you give a thousand dollar check to a billionaire, obviously their, their lifestyle is not gonna change. You're not gonna see that money go into the economy. If you give $1,000 to someone who barely can make ends meet, uh, the money will immediately go into the economy. So I suggested this to people in the administration and their worry was there wouldn't be incentive to work and I argued back, of course there will still be an incentive to work. There's lot, lines for food three, time, three miles long in New York City. So, but, that was ignored. It's not like people are not gonna get jobs with a massive thousand or $2,000 stimulus check. But anyway, that was ignored. Uh, in terms of reforms, I suggested looking into ending blue collar licensing because that prevents many people living in projects or poor communities from working. Uh, uh, release all people on uh, nonviolent crimes like marijuana. There are people in jail for marijuana crimes. So, uh, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, but you know, everybody's sort of like arguing defund the police, defend the police. By the way, good headline of the day, cosmopolitan.com, my favorite website with all the news that's fit to print. Um, they have a good article today on what defunding the police actually means. It doesn't mean get rid of the police, but it's important to look at the data. So I, I, I brought up the data and uh, let me find it. So last year, here's all of the arrests. There were about 10 million arrests in the United States. Uh, just so you know, just so you can put it into context, 1% of 10 million is 100,000. 10% of 10 million is a million, just a little math class, but there were 10 million arrests. So just to put it in context, context murder and, and, and manslaughter arrests were 11,000. So 11,000 is one-tenth of 1%. 1 so everybody thinks, oh, the police stop murders. No, they don't. Not only do they not stop murders, but they don't even solve murders. It's only 11,000 arrests for murders. I don't know how many murders there were actually, but I should have checked that. Um, for for uh, rape, there's a similar number of arrests. For robbery, there's 88,000 arrests. So, so for murder, rape, and robbery, all added up together, it's about 1% of all arrests, murder, rape, and robbery. And then, um, you know, the biggest arrests are for basically all other offenses, which I don't even know what that means, but you know, that's after fraud, embezzlement, stolen property, vandalism, weapons, prostitution, sex offenses. Like, let's just go down the list. Uh, you know, prostitution and commercialized vice Unless it's like pedophilia should be legal, so there should be no arrest for that. There were 31,000 arrests. Um, uh, drug abuse violations, 1.6 million arrests. So 16% of all arrests were just for people smoking marijuana in the street or people using heroin. You know, these are people with, if you're an addict, you have an illness. You don't need to be arrested and thrown in jail if you have a problem with heroin. Believe me, 
I've had my own issues in my life. Certainly, you know, it's, I would much more classify even a heroin addiction or anything else as uh, 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 an addiction, an illness, not something to be arrested. Gambling arrests should be not be arrests at all. Uh, offenses against the family and children, that should totally be an arrest. But there's, that's 87,000, so still less than 1% of all arrests. So it's not like the police do anything to stop parents from beating the shit out of their children. So Or husbands beating their wives or wives. Yeah, husbands beating their wives, whatever. It's, it's hardly any arrests. Wives beating their husbands. Um, but, you know, but police do get called to domestic violence situations mm -hmm. between 15 and 50%, depending on the state. And, but, you know, you see the arrests for this are minimal. Uh, so again, is this a police issue or can you, are there better ways to tackle like this mediators. problem? Um, yeah. Or, you know, mediators that have ability to restrain people or take mm -hmm. people, have the authority to take people out of their homes and, and so on. Um, driving under the influence, 1 million arrests. So 10 million arrests or 10% of the arrests in the United States last year were for DUIs. Which is not good. Yeah. Yeah. You shouldn't yeah. be driving Kill. drunk. And maybe you keep the traffic police, but don't give, but stop giving traffic tickets for speeding or whatever. Um, that kills people too, though. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. And uh, property crime, don't touch my property. That was 1.1 million arrests. And simple assault, like if you just like, I don't know, slap someone in the face. <laughs> I don't know what a simple assault is versus aggravated assault. So aggravated assault is about 3% of arrests. But simple assault is over 10% of arrests. So, uh, oh, and liquor laws, liquor law arrests. So for instance, if I serve, so, you know, it, it, you know, I own part of a bar. If a 20, if, if a 20 year old comes into the bar, has a fake ID and gets a beer, um, that's a liquor law offense. So there are more liquor arrests then murder, rape, and robbery, and 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 domestic abuse against children combined. And DUIs, which uh, is no, DUIs, way. DUIs are more. D but DUI. I'm mean, just saying though, that has to do with alcohol too. Oh, so yeah, it seems like true. alcohol is a big problem. Yeah. So 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 anyway. But yeah, that's legal. But yet the marijuana is not. So I do think that if you if you if you look at the data, there probably are solutions that are better you know, that sound like defund the police that are better than our, you know, it's not unreasonable to expect law enforcement to be reformed. Look, that money, if it, they're defunded, it should be put it into other, you know, um, areas where yeah. they can help people with addiction. Like school help. counseling, right. addiction counseling, right. you know, and then, get, you know, Andrew Yang just the other day tweeted that maybe police officers should use the bowler wrap gun, mm -hmm. um, which is the device that wraps around people and it's completely nonviolent. Um, he got some heat for it, actually. Did you know that? No, yeah. I yeah, people said, oh, what are you going to do? Like, hog tie, you know. Well, they don't understand. They don't, like, they don't understand. The it's just like mobile handcuffs. So better to use that than a gun. So that's the, which is right now the alternative or, or a taser, which kills two people a week, right. allegedly. I should probably should say that. But anyway, uh, we didn't even get to the end of 2020, but I do feel like we should answer some questions because there are some good questions. Uh, like like you always say, what a decade. Yeah, That's yeah. 2020 is like the worst decade of my life so far. But I'll just to summarize, since uh, uh, the protests have started, we've also had the largest cyber attack against the US. Yeah. Chase Bank was just hacked. Uh, Amazon was hacked in the largest cyber attack Amazon's ever had. Uh, and this is World War Three, actually. This is how China is going to yes. hurt us. And there's dust storms in the Sahara uh, coming to the U.S. right now. The largest dust storms in the U.S. ever. Uh, what else is happening? There's India, China. I don't know. All sorts of crazy. Oh, uh, uh, oh, wait. Alligators on meth are coming out of toilets in Florida. Um, huh. Murder hornets. Completely forgot what happened to the murder hornets. Uh, don't 2020 is going to be a difficult game. We've got it. We've got it. And there's also a war getting ready to start in Libya. Oh, I don't even know about that. Yeah. And we have genocide in Yemen. So don't ignore the game. Second half of 2020. There's a lot of exciting things that are going to happen in this game. Mm -hmm. Be prepared. So, um, 
I do, I do have one business idea that I think is worth mentioning, which is, um, this is the, uh, the, the $10 million idea of, of the day. Uh, maybe not 10 million, but, so we all have heard of e-commerce, obviously, and we've all heard of TV commerce. So if you watch QVC, QVC does 11 billion in revenues. It's a TV channel that sells cosmetics and cheap jewelry and other things. And uh, you want, you turn it on and there's a presenter, the show is just a presenter selling stuff, call now, supply is limited. Uh, and, and QVC does, ele- that's live commerce, and that QVC does 11 billion in revenues. But here's the opportunity. In China, um, live streaming com- uh, e-commerce, so if I just, so the equivalent, meaning, if I just go on a, one of the Chinese social networks and I do a live stream of, hey, buy this line of jewelry, that, it's called live Mm e-commerce. Live e-commerce streams, like live streaming e-commerce, have resulted in 170 billion in revenues in China last year. So... But those are Chinese companies doing it. I don't uh, think they allow Western companies. No, no, but what I'm saying is that trend now is going global. Ah. So you're seeing people in every country now starting to get into live commerce. China started it, but it's clearly a viable means of making money. So two opportunities. One is, you know, and and by the way, we've started doing this a little bit on the podcast. So normally when you sell ads on a podcast, uh, you know, I don't know who, who, like American Express will say, okay, here's, you know, $10,000, read this ad. And I say, sure, I have an American Express. I approve, I'll read this ad. But I think much more interesting is for podcasts, and I haven't really seen this done, um, much more interesting is for podcasts to do affiliate ads. So podcasts should take the risk. Like I'll pick out a course, an online course that I like, and I'll say, listen, I love the guy doing this course. I love the course itself. I love what you can learn. I love the skills being taught. I think this course is effective. Here are the testimonials. And then do an affiliate deal with the course. So anybody who goes from your podcast to the course, uh, and then they buy the course, you do a, uh, what's it called, an affiliate deal. You split the revenues on what the, the course creator generates from, from your podcast ad read. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the equivalent of a live stream um, yeah. e-commerce. And so YouTubers should start live streaming, you know, hey, here's all the equipment I use to do my YouTube uh, videos and, you know, and then have the links and do affiliate deals. Like I think we'll, I think we'll start to see a lot more YouTubers, TikTokers, Instagrammers do live commerce streams because it's a, it turns out there's a 30% conversion rate. Like people will go from your stream and if they go to the site, 30% of them become buyers. So this is an incredibly, uh, important marketing tool, money-making tool, whatever. But even better, here's the real opportunity. Become the marketing agency that connects live streaming influencers like TikTokers, Instagrammers, YouTubers, and so on. Connect them with brands who want to make sell products using live streaming. So let's say I create an online course. I contact a, a, a digital marketing agency that sets up live commerce streams. And I say, hook me up with as many influencers as possible. And you know, they'll charge, they'll charge a significant amount because it's so successful. Mm-hmm. I think the US is not even in the first inning of this possibility. So if you create a marketing agency now to do this and you, you get some brands behind you that are willing to pay you and then you get some influencers that are willing to do these live streams because they sincerely approve of the products being sold, I think that's the next, if you start that right now, digital agency for that, you could quickly build that to be, to, and sell that to a major advertising firm for like 10 to $20 million. Those are like, that's a no brainer business idea to create a $10 million business. Startup costs are zero. You just need to, um, you know, write a, a, a proposal and, and present it to as many companies as possible. And you need to then be able to hire the TikTokers, but there are agencies that, that will introduce you to the influencers and boom, that's a huge, huge business. You'll easily sell to like an Omnicom or Interpublic or WPP for 10 million or more. I give it like 12 to 18 months when this trend really starts to kick off in the US, it's huge. Now, it's almost, now it's time for questions. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, should an individual use Netflix as an example and go in debt to create some content? So this is an individual asking this. And what Netflix has done, what he's referring to is Netflix borrows money. Let's say they borrow $10 billion and they create $10 billion worth of TV shows. The reason Netflix does that is because they don't make money directly off the TV shows. They make money off of, you know, oh, there's this great show on Netflix, but you have to be a subscriber. They get more and more subscribers. It's kind of like how HBO used to be a movie channel in the 70s and early 80s, but then they created original content and they got, and their subscribers went from like a million to 30 million. So Netflix used to just sell DVDs, then they created original content, and now they have, you know, 100 million subscribers. So the answer to his question, though, should you go into debt to create some content? Absolutely not. Like, Netflix has an entire business model that revolves around creating original content. It is unclear. They could take risks because no individual is taking a risk there. Netflix can afford to take risks because they're always able to borrow money off of this nonstop stream of income from their subscription business. So, so absolutely do not borrow money to make your own little movie or CD. Also, Netflix is diversified. They have, they make a hundred different TV shows. You're, this person's talking about making one CD. By the way, make the CD. Why do you have to borrow money? Just, you know, do what you can to make a cheaper version of the CD. Go on Kickstarter, have a track or two from your, your album on Kickstarter so people can hear, and then they'll donate, use Kickstarter to not only fund the rest of your album, but to generate your initial audience. That's how you expose your material to a great audience. And then do live streaming on YouTube for it, I don't know. But do not go into debt, go on, start on Kickstarter. Um, uh, let's see, uh, another, next question. Um, any ideas for stay-at-home moms to make money from home, from home that's artistic, outdoorsy, and fun? Yeah, uh, I think uh, make a clothing line. Now it sounds like uh, making it sound trivial, like, oh, just make your own clothing line. But make a, if, you, if you're, you mentioned outdoorsy specifically, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I remember um, I, I gave this advice to a guy and he, he did it. It's the basic advice of drop shipping. You buy things cheap on Alibaba or Taobao or, or whatever, and you sell it expensive on Amazon. So there's this guy, J. Trevor Chapman. Um, he wrote the foreword of my book, the, the Side Hustle Bible. He took the drop shipping advice, gives me, gives me credit for it. He hadn't done it before. He decided to buy he was really into biking on like rough trails and like on dirt bikes. And so he, he bought uh, cheap Kevlar pants on Alibaba and sold them more expensively on Amazon. And he made a million dollars within 60 days. He taught his parents how to do it. They made a million dollars after 90 days. So, and then he built up a logistics business around this for other people. He sold the business for $10 million after two years. So that's why I wrote the forward of my book. So good, good guy. So if you're outdoorsy, here's an idea. Inflatable pools are a thing right now. It's a trending product uh, this summer because nobody's going to public pools because of the virus, but kids need to swim and love to swim. So inflatable pools are a big thing. So I looked it up on Alibaba. It was like, what did we see? It was like $20 for, for an inflatable pool. Yeah. And the exact same inflatable pool was selling on Amazon for like 300 bucks. And so people always ask, oh, is drop shipping still happening? I don't know, try it out. Sell, put an, put an ad up and try to set up a Shopify store, put some pools up, advertise a little bit on Facebook or do a deal with a TikTok influencer, sell some pools, buy on Alibaba after you already have some orders, so you take zero risk and then have Alibaba ship directly to your customers. Or maybe they ship a thousand inflatable pools to you for $20 an inflatable pool or a hundred, whatever the minimum order is. And then you ship and you know, it's, it's okay if it's hard work and then you start making money and, and build up. And that is one idea, but there's lots of ideas like that, uh, that are out there. And I'll, I'll cover some more in, on these and, and, and maybe newsletters or, or whatever. Um, Somebody asked, why are you giving out your phone number? Won't people spam you? 
my phone number if you want to text me questions or anything, interesting things, and I'll text you back. 203-590-8607. By the way, I will answer. Nobody's really spammed me. Like everybody's been having, I've been having reasonable discussions and dialogues with people. Uh, and only, I would say a few hundred people have texted me, but uh, it's 203-590-8607. Um, uh, in an article that I wrote, I said, uh, uh, I, apparently I said, dreaming big leads to happiness. Uh, and I wrote that article probably a while ago. Uh, the question is, what do I mean by that? Well, I think it's always good to, you know, be excited about things. So sometimes I'm excited about to watch a TV show tonight. I'll be excited about that, but I'm also if excited. Hmm? If we find a good one. I know, we've watched, during this binge watching. You guys watching, can tell us what we should watch. <laughs> yeah, during the past four months, <laughs> we have watched every single TV show on Netflix and Amazon. Yeah. And now we're going to older movies. Last night we finished The Sweet Smell of Success, a 1957 movie starring Tony yeah. Curtis and Burt Lancaster, which was great. Yeah. And then we just now just watch YouTube videos. But, uh, uh, but that's obviously dreaming small. Oh, but I can't wait to watch a three minute YouTube video of somebody beatboxing uh, tonight. So, so dreaming big means like, well, uh, uh, it's not necessarily goals, but like, oh, I would love to write a thriller novel. So, and that is like something I want to do. So on Friday, I'm having on a podcast, a friend of mine just got a half a million dollar deal to write a romance novel. And by the way, this friend of mine is an ex-military Navy SEAL guy. And he's writing a <laughs> military romance novel okay. under a pseudonym of a woman and got a half a million dollar wow. advance. So. I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm happy yeah. to find out about it. Now, you can say, well, the world's filled with all this pain and depression. Okay, don't look at the news. That's actually the key. You won't be bothered by it if you don't, if you ignore it. Because mm -hmm. as I already explained, that we tried to influence our, with our opinions, got nowhere. So then what else can you do? Well, you can only just take care of your immediate self and what... You know, Absolutely. Surrounding, so that's what everyone should do. Just yes. Take responsibility for. Stay healthy. Write ten ideas a day. Be kind. Thank God we were quarantined together, as opposed to being quarantined with any of our exes from all the way in the past. So at least I'm saying that. So uh, you know, have good relationships. Write ten ideas a day down. But it's important to always think today is going to be better than yesterday, and tomorrow is going to be better than today. So. While I'm excited for things that are happening today, I'm even further excited to to continue writing and to continue these Instagram lives. We've been having so much fun answering questions and 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 dialoguing and participating with you. And I'm excited for tomorrow. I'm gonna. Yeah. Uh, I have all these you know podcasts set up for the future. I never think about the past. If you're always excited for tomorrow and have reasons to be excited for tomorrow, you're, it's a healthy way to be. Instead of just like being anxious and stressed, which there's so much evidence right. that anxiety and stress lead to a uh, decline in your immune system, making it more likely to get the virus. I don't, like, I don't have to say this kind of basic self-help stuff, but um, a good counter is yeah. write down your list of things you're excited about for tomorrow. I'm excited about you know writing Fiction. I'm excited, and I think in mid-July I'm gonna do stand-up here in the Miami uh, Hard Rock uh, Casino. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about something that's happening on July 11th that I will tell you about next week. I'm super excited about. Uh, I'm excited about our daughters. Our mm -hmm. some of our daughters are coming tomorrow. Some in a few weeks. I'm excited about that. Um, our son. Yeah. So if you're always kind of and those are, some are big dreams, some are small dreams. Uh, so I think the bigger you dream, the more, up, you know, it's again, spoken wheel. Like the bigger the umbrella, the more things that could fit under it. So if I want to write a novel, this, that means I'm going to have hundreds of days of fun to look forward to of writing a novel. And maybe the novel will sell well, who knows? Or maybe people will like it. And I'd be excited about that. So I dream big doesn't necessarily mean I have a goal. I had a goal in 2015 to write a novel. 
and instead I did stand-up comedy almost every night of the week. So your goals change, but even then, you always you always hope you always hope for a better tomorrow, and you always not even hope. Assume tomorrow will be better than today. Assume today will be better than yesterday. If all you do is that, I don't care anybody else's self-help advice. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing you need to do to be happy, I think, right. no, or content. That's true, yeah. And so, one foot in front of the other. Do something small that will make your life better tomorrow. Yeah, and and while on pursuit of something big, have, right. you know, maybe diversify kind of the time frames and the size of the dreams. Again, I'm not calling them goals, but the size of the dreams. Uh, so that was that was it. Uh, any any questions over there? Like, uh, I don't even know if I have any other. Uh, and also, dreaming big is it, you don't uh, you take the lid off your box, and you can go as far as you you can instead of. You know, some people stop themselves from, you know, dreaming big or stop themselves from doing things. So Susan um, just said, it's very scary what's going on in Philadelphia. Susan, I don't think, oh, I don't think we know what's going on in Philadelphia, but um, I'll research that and report back tomorrow. But anyway, I'm going to, we'll say, you know, text me any questions once again, or both of those questions, text us 203-590-8607. Um, and I'll, we'll, we'll store this entire, uh, IG live on my Instagram feed on YouTube, and it'll be released, uh, within a few days on my podcast tomorrow. I'll do a recap of all of the book challenges that we've done. Plus, of course, we'll answer more questions and, uh, you know, maybe talk more side hustles and whatever else you want to talk about. So text me questions, two, zero, three, five, nine, zero. 8607 and congratulations once again. You have passed the the one half year level for the virtual the 2020 virtual reality game simulation. It's the it's our biggest blockbuster release ever and it's been so gratifying to plan the, the various stages of this new game and you've all been great customers of of this 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 ultra dimensional game. You all get, will wake up tomorrow with an extra 40 uh, points in your account and <laughs> see you tomorrow. Thanks very much. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.